This is episode 67 of the Rising Man podcast with Brian Jenkins. It takes courage to lead with a vulnerable heart. Welcome back, Rising Man family. I am feeling grateful today in this moment because this is the first recording for the rising man i'm doing since the birth of my daughter we just welcomed her into the world on saturday april 20th it was such a beautiful remarkable birth i'm so inspired by my wife by my daughter by my family and just the community the family that we have around us that's been so supportive so i'll definitely be reflecting on that for this coming week's monday morning meditation but if you can't wait until monday to hear about my newest journey into fatherhood part two then make sure you join us for our april rising man fire circle call which will be this saturday april 27th from 3 to 5 p.m pacific standard time you can join as a guest by sending me a direct message for the call link either facebook messenger or on instagram just let me know you want to be a guest on this month's fire circle call and i'll hit you up with the link or you can sign up to be a patron of the Rising Man podcast at patreon.com slash rising man. This is your chance to help support the podcast and get access to our inner ring, the Rising Man Fire Circles. $33 a month and a network of men who are constantly pushing themselves to become the best version of the man that they've always wanted to be. So join us. We want you to be a part of this. That's what it's all about. All right. My guest this week is a man by the name of Brian Jenkins. Brian had what some would call the good life on paper. He was a fraternity president, part of multiple influential circles, got his MBA from London, opened his first business in Spain, and is living where people go for vacation. <laughs> but he had a deep and paralyzing feeling that something was missing. Eventually, he realized that the success he'd achieved was not his version of success and that he had climbed someone else's mountain. Now he's starting over, climbing his own mountain that is leading him to be the man he was meant to be, which involves losing an identity and letting himself truly be seen. He is a recent graduate of Man Cave and a man who is ready to make waves in the world. And I'm really excited to have him on the show today. We had a really deep conversation. We went there, we opened up some new topics and new portals of discussion that we haven't gotten to on the podcast yet. So some of what we talked about is how even if we have the job, money, family, etc., it doesn't mean that we experience fulfillment. We talked about how it takes courage to show true vulnerability and that being softer doesn't necessarily mean we are less masculine or less of a man. We talked about how does having a greater intimacy and connection with our partners and selves contribute to a more peaceful world. And the better we can understand and love ourselves makes us more equipped to treat others in that way. And last but not least, we talked about how the man who goes the deepest is often the most highly respected. How the man who reveals the deepest, most vulnerable truth about himself is usually the one that gets the most respect. And so much more in this episode. So make sure you turn the volume up, dial in. Without further ado, our guest for this week, Brian Jenkins. All right, Rising Man family, I got my man, my brother, Brian Jenkins, joining us from the Canary Islands. Props to you guys if you yes. know where the Canary Islands are. Why don't, you, why don't you give us a little bit of a geographical lesson, my bro? Yeah, well, buenos dias to you all. Uh, so the Canary Islands is our, our chain of seven islands just off the coast of Morocco. So Morocco, if you don't know where that is, it's in the northern, northwestern part of Africa. So yeah, that's where I reside. Right on, man. And where are you from initially? Because I don't think that's a Canary Island accent you got. 
love I love the the attention that you the attention to detail. But no, I'm from Florida, so I was born in South Carolina, but I, I was raised and I spent most of my life in Florida. Okay, all right. So so stateside, born and raised stateside, yes. but he's he's, yes, a, he's a global traveler. Good to have you on here, man. And and just a little bit of context for you guys. Why? Brian being on this show. Brian and I met. He was a recent graduate of Man Cave, which you guys have heard me talk about quite a bit. He's someone who reached out to me and said, hey, man, I haven't heard any of the uh, Man Cave graduates been on your show. I think it'd be a good angle to have. And and really just to have an, a man who has stepped into what we call the work or personal development, really working on himself to be the man that he wants to be so that he could have a more satisfying and fulfilling life. And that's, that's really the conversation that we're talking about at large here. And I know that that's a big one that's up for you right now, Brian, because you're figuring out how you want to live into your greatest life. Is that right? Absolutely, Jetty. You hit a spot on me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into it because like every other conversation, I never know where it's going to go. <laughs> so, I know you should be afraid. Be very afraid. Be ready for anything. Be prepared. <laughs> um, okay, man. Well, let's start it off like I start off every episode then. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Man, to me, uh, the difference between a boy and a man is probably going to be the maturity aspect, the outlook, right? I think once you come into a man, you it's not really something that's uh, assigned an age, but more so a mindset and taking responsibility. You know, so for example, I can be a man and make mistakes and take responsibility for those. Or I can be a boy, make mistakes and kind of uh, hide from it. And it doesn't matter if I'm a boy, again, I'm uh, 45 years old. So I think it's, it's more so the responsibility aspect of how we perceive life. Mm-hmm. Right on, man. And this question has taken on so much more meaning and emphasis for me since coming back from the desert two weeks ago, where I brought four guys out there who marked the threshold from adolescence into manhood. And nice. it's it's such an important thing for us to recognize is that if we don't consciously step out of our adolescence and into our adulthood, then there's always going to be a piece of us that is that is trailing us. There's going to be some element of our younger tendencies that doesn't really allow us to live our best and most fulfilling lives. And mm-hmm. you mentioned something right before we started recording, you know, helping other men who who are, who are frustrated in their situation. I think that's a really good way of putting it because I can, I can remember what it was like for me to be frustrated in my situation and not know what is the impact that I meant to have in this world. I, I know right. I could, I could sense it that I'm meant right. for more, but what is it? And how do I, then, then what is it? And then how do I execute on that? So, right. So why don't you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I know that's a big thing that you're working on right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think, dude, you hit it right around the head with that again. So when we're talking about, you know, stepping into or the frustration, I think for a lot of men, whether we see it or not, the frustration is just a symptom of what's going on within us, right? Because as we go through the experience of life and as we're stepping into our, our manhood and we think that we've transitioned from a boy or, as you put it, adolescence to a man, we still carry a lot of immature or ineffective traits with us from our true adolescence when we're 13, 14 years old, right? So to answer your question, let me just kind of give you give an example of, of my frustrations. So even on paper, people say, well, Brian, well, look, you live in Spain. You, you did your MBA in London. You're traveling. I see your pictures. Uh, you have a business. So on paper, everything is great for Brian, right? Mm. However, some of the adolescent tendencies I was, I was still carrying along with me was, for example, a scarcity mindset. You know, I think when you're, for example, a, a child, at least for me, at least when you're a child, sometimes you don't think as big. And I know children, we have you know, big imaginations, but we not, might not think as big when it comes to business or just what we can accomplish, right? 
But even beyond that, for me, it was with my wife and my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriends, right? And that was the idea that I couldn't be a better man or a better lover for them. Like I was limited. Like the best I felt like I had to offer them, and honestly, was probably from a sexual capacity, you know, towards being a romantic guy. That wasn't me. Couldn't be me. Towards being the guy that would really defend her from anything, everything. That couldn't be me. From a guy that would be able to completely be vulnerable and emotionally available to her. That couldn't be me. When it came to sex, I can do that. That's the easy part, right? Mm. And I think we get rewarded for that type of thought process and for that type of behavior and that type of reaction when it comes to the the the, the romantic aspect of, of being a man. But realistically for me, that's just adolescent behavior, you know? Mm-hmm. And until I can stop and say, no, I can do better on all fronts, you know, not only just be able to touch my wife in a physical sense, but an emotional and a spiritual sense, to me, that's part of the process of actually stepping into a man and being a man. So if I can help other men to see that and for them to understand that they do have more to offer, then I'm golden. I'm, I'm living good. Yeah, man. That's great because that actually illuminates something for me. Two of the archetypal words that are connected to manhood and masculinity across the ages, across the generations are providing and protecting. Mm-hmm. And providing and protecting immediately. When I say those words, I think of like a medieval guy in armor with a sword (laughs) and a shield. The physical act of defending and protecting our loved ones, which I think is absolutely a part of it. Like you you kind of alluded to it. I'll protect her, defend her from anything. But I think it's way more than just the physical piece and and the providing piece. You said that scarcity Mm -hmm. mindset. These are qualities that I think really define someone who stepped into their adulthood. Because until we step into adulthood, when we're still in our adolescence, all of that providing, all of that protecting, we're we're using that to protect our our fragile ego, in my opinion. Correct. We're protecting ourselves so much that we can't possibly exert the same energy and attention to protect the ones that are around us that we love. And so it's a really, really interesting threshold that we cross from defending ourselves or even feeling that there's something to defend because maybe there's actually not something to defend at the end of the day. It's just being vulnerable, right? Another one of those words we talked about that everyone's throwing around, but literally being vulnerable, being willing to step onto the battlefield of life. In, and, and not feel the need to just defend ourselves, but really to defend the people that we love. And Jenny, and that's exactly how it was for me. You know, in that in that process, when I, when I reflect about, you know, the, the ex- experiences I had with ex-girlfriends and when I think about my frustrations, when I think about my, my bad moods, when I think about how I handle situations where I can see in their eyes, I can see that they're yearning, they want something more from me when they were hurt. And all they really wanted just maybe a hug, you know, mm. they just want me to let my guard down and just you know, lie in bed and just, just, uh, just caress them. Right. Mm. But for me, for some reason, for example, in that midst of, of a quote unquote battle, me defending my ego, because maybe they saw something in me that they didn't like. And I mm. want to defend my position, my standpoint. I could not even imagine the idea of being vulnerable to say, okay, well, damn, maybe the way I handled that situation wasn't the best way, you know, mm. but because now we're now in this, this full on debate, this full on argument, I'm going to defend my side even though I can see the woman I love is hurting. She's in pain. She's not enjoying right. this conversation. And of course, now my tongue is like throwing daggers at her because like, I want to win this battle for what? Because that was my ego. You know, it's yes. just my treatment out. I felt, it felt damaged. It felt hurt. It felt, you know, uh, you know, sensitive to the situation. But I mean, again, it's all just to me, adolescence behaviors, at least from my standpoint, the way I see the situation. Yeah, man. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about vulnerability for a second. What, what, what other meaning we can give to that word other than just, cause I think a lot of people, when I hear vulnerability, I, I instantly imagine somebody standing on like the, the soapbox and just sharing mm-hmm. all of their wounds and all of their frustrations and all their fears to the world. And there's something about that that really triggers me. I'm just like, for the sake of what? 
why, 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 why do that? You know, and maybe, maybe that's somebody's breakthrough, but that, I, I don't think it's a, you know, one size fits all type of deal. Um, right, but the right. vulnerability, especially with our, with our women, with our partners, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's your wife, your, your longtime partner, or even if it's your mother, your sister, somebody else that you're not intimate with mm-hmm. the vulnerability to be able to drop the guard, to soften to be at her level. That's been one of the most difficult things for me as a man. And I'll be honest, it's still one of the most challenging things for me today. Because when my wife is in pain or she's hurting, she has this thing where when she gets hurt or injured or like stubs her toe, she tells me about it. And she what she wants me to do is to acknowledge that, oh, I'm sorry that happened. Are, are you okay? And wants me to do what my mom used to do for me. And the last thing that I want to be is my mom. Right, right. Right? The last thing that, and she, and we've had a, this is, this was like the first big challenge we had in our marriage. I'm no, no joke was that when I get hurt, I internalize it. I, I deal with it myself. You know, I bang my toe and I'm like, oh, you know, breathe it out, let it go. And when she bangs her toe, she wants everybody to know about it because it makes her feel safe. And I made that wrong for a long time because that's not how I handle it. And right, right. it's still difficult for me to soften to the level where, I feel like a like a less masculine version of myself. And so I've had to reframe and recontextualize what it means to be masculine and provide and take care of my partner. Right, right. So how's that been for you? Dude, I mean, it's almost like living like a mere experience. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, like a recent example, actually what my wife is going through right now. And the plus I have in my favor is my wife doesn't speak much English. So uh, she can't get mad at me for another, like two years until she learns <laughs> and she comes back to revisit. Oh, as, as, as of present, right? As of present, we're talking about vulnerability and our wives bringing things to our attention and we don't really, for, for whatever reason, we don't give them the attention that they're looking for or the way they want to see it. So she's admittedly put on a little bit of weight. Not fat, not disgusting, not anything like that. It's just more weight than she's used to carrying, right? Mm-hmm. And luckily for her, it's being censored around her her stomach area. Uh-huh. So now we are actively working on to have uh, to to have kids. And as far mm-hmm. as we know, she's not pregnant. But of course, the when she the way she wears her clothes before, it appears that she is maybe like two or three months pregnant, right? Okay. Again, she's not overweight by no means, and she's been getting comments from people like coworkers and other departments congratulating her on you know her. (laughs) And of course, she comes home and she tells me about it, and so my first reaction, kind of similar to yours was to be maybe like a realist. I was like, mercy. I was like, so you know why is he put on a little bit of weight? So I, okay, I put on a little bit of weight too. I'm not showing like you are. I said, we're not eating the same way. We're not exercising the same way. You're stressed at work. You're comfort eating. And so I want to talk the logic into her. I want to tell her exactly why she has it. So she gets it clear and she gets over this, this kind of like frustration that she's, she's in her words, fat, right? Right. She was like, well, she don't want to hear that shit. No, 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 no. <laughs> How many conversations I had with her when I'm like, so like on my soapbox, giving like the best motivation speech of my life, telling her how she can get over this insecurity that she's fat. I still, I, you know, tell her that she's gorgeous, right? Mm-hmm. It never ended well. And I never understood why it didn't end well. I didn't understand why she couldn't understand. I just wanted her to understand that she's beautiful. She only gained a little bit of weight and we know how to figure this out, right? Uh-huh. So through trial and error and emotion, <laughs> a lot of error, a lot of error yep. in that. Yep. So she has brought this up again recently, and now my approach is the first time she brought it to me, I smiled at her, I gave her a kiss, I went to the store and I fixed her, uh, I made her some chocolate-covered strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> dude, now, that could be probably, some people say, well, dude, all you're doing is promoting, all you're doing is encouraging that behavior to eat that kind of food. And I said, that for me, I don't see it that way. 
you know, I said, look, we're going to sit there, we're going to enjoy it. I want her to know because really what she's saying to me is when she's saying she feels fat, she wants to know what my reaction is. She wants to know if I still find her desirable, if yeah. I still find her attractive, if I still find her, you know, um, sexy. Mm-hmm. And so if I deviate from that and if I start, you know, trying to talk logic, she might be hearing, well, shit, he does think I am, I am overweight. He does think I am unattractive, right? So by yeah. me saying, baby, look, just relax here. We're going to have some chocolate covered strawberries. You know, she's more relaxed and she's like more into it. She's like more, uh, how do you say this? More, I don't know, more secure in me before mm-hmm. I didn't give her this. Thought mm-hmm. I was, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, so going back to to being vulnerable, it took me to be vulnerable, thinking like, if I don't talk that logic into her, if I don't really stand strong for her in a one dimensional kind of way, the way I saw it, understood it, that maybe I'm not being the best man for her. And mm-hmm. so, it took me time to understand that there are a variety of ways of being a strong man. You know, to be uh, to understand that the energy that I give off to her can definitely, 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 definitely really transform the way she sees us in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, man, and I love the chocolate covered strawberries angle. I mean, this and, and let's be clear, this wasn't experiment number one. There was many trials and many errors. Oh. <laughs> this is maybe experiment number forty-seven or something like that. Let's try chocolate covered strawberries and see how that works. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, and that, that that probably wasn't the last thing on my list. I was like my hell Mary, and somehow it worked. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, man, and and I think. One thing I want, a couple things I want to highlight about that is the the commitment to still show up and be there for her, even when you don't experience success on the first try. Because I know that's a that's a space where myself and I think a lot of other men get shut down is we put something out there, we give it our best, you give our best motivational speech, our best solution to the problem that we see that they're presenting to us, and it gets shot down by like a firing squad, <laughs> like not even a chance before it even takes flight. Poof, crash and burn and you feel and you feel so proud of yourself too like you're patting yourself on the back you're doing a victory dance and you look in your eyes for the like the confirmation that you did a good job it's not there <laughs> and it's not there and it's like ah oh, it's, it's such a tough feeling but to to be able to pivot from that place and say okay what am i committed to i'm still committed to providing protecting taking care of my woman whatever that means in this moment because to mm-hmm. me that's the definition of a long-term commitment especially to a partner is I'm committed to providing whatever you need. If you need to me to put on a clown costume and we do a dance around the house because you're not feeling great, then then let's do that. That may not be my first option, but right. <laughs> you know, five, six, that seven, line, you know. That line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got it in the closet. It's on call if I need it. But that's that's really uh, something I want to highlight especially about you and I think other men uh, including myself could really benefit from remembering this that there's always another move. There's always something that we can do, whether it's your wife, your girlfriend, partner, some, anybody in your life, that if, we, if, you don't, if you don't succeed the first time or it doesn't land the first time, then there's still something else you can do instead of just resignation, just resigning, throwing our hands up in the air, being like, oh, pff, she doesn't appreciate me anyway. You know, I gave her my best shot and, and, right, and going yeah, back yeah. to defending ourselves. But Jetty, man, you know, that's so easy to do. You know, and even... When we first got together and we were just like boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, we, I had many moments like that. And I'm not proud of those moments at all where I was throwing my hands up. You know, we get into an argument and I feel like we had this, the same argument, the same topic. And I just say, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we shouldn't be together. Maybe, you know, I'm not the man you need to be. Maybe I'm not, you know, all these different things. And it was, it was, it was that resignation. It was throwing mm-hmm. up the white flag and saying, this is it. And I had that same pattern with previous girlfriends. 
again, now looking back on that, that's because I think I was more frustrated with myself than I was with her. You know, I felt as if I couldn't do anything for her, not recognizing what I, I think it, Albert Einstein, who says that the definition of insanity is, is trying the same thing every, you know, doing the same thing, the same exact way, you know, but expecting different results, you know, yep. whoever yep. said that, that's exactly what I was doing. You know, I was doing my one trick to try to make her happy. I was giving my motivational speech and be logical and, 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 you know, do the roadmap to success for her and didn't work. And so when that didn't work, I felt useless. I felt that, damn, well, maybe I'm not a, you know, a good lover, a good husband, a good boyfriend. Maybe I am not meant to do this. Right. And so it did, it did take that, um, uh, that, that, uh, that reflection in myself to understand that I can be better. I can do more. I may not know what that is and what that looks like now. But again, through trial and error, self-discovery, research, looking into courses, you know, self-improvement courses, like you mentioned, I was in man cave, you know, doing a man cave opened up a lot of different avenues, a lot of different doors for me, if you will, as to how it is that we can approach life, especially our women from different, or our lovers from different angle, you know, I guess it's just that belief that there is something better and not getting stuck on this is all I know. So this is it. Right. And, and that's really good medicine for all of us guys out there. Cause I, I'm a big advocate of you're not unique and you're not alone. So just to, <laughs> just to spotlight what you're experiencing and me confirming that I'm experiencing the same thing on my side of the, the world that, and every other man is experiencing it in their own way, the same challenges. Cause there, there is some science behind this, that women are, are great communicators, but communicating what they need what they what they need in any moment is really difficult for them there's there's right. a lot of literature out there a woman named Alison Armstrong I don't know if you've heard about her but she goes really deep into the development of men and women and women have a hard time communicating what they need what they really need or what they really want and men we're so solution and logic oriented that the, right. the problem that's presented we stay on the surface of it so what's really being asked of us is to be intimacy artists of intimacy you know, detectives right, right. and really dissecting what's behind the words. And that can be really difficult when we've got a thousand other things on our mind. Yes, man. But I, yes. I know that it's it's been a dance that I think is really important. And, and blowing it out to the big picture, why, why does this even matter? Because, of course, most of us want to have long-term committed partnership, maybe even family, and the fulfillment of having that lifetime partner that we can build with. Not everybody, but I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are looking for that. And thinking of how does this create a better world. You know, you said Mm -hmm. one of your big messages on your heart is living in a more peaceful world and creating a more peaceful world. So what's your perspective on that? How how does having greater intimacy and connection with our partners create a more peaceful and loving world? Well, bro, I think actually before that, it's going to have to come with having a a more peaceful and communal relationship with ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And we were were touched on this a little bit before that that can sound a bit abstract and sound a bit kind of like fluffy. For me, this is I got stuck on that. You know, I got stuck on, you know, the idea that I could be better and could do better from a, a personal standpoint. Professional education, that was easy. You know, I, I understood that, you know, if you want to learn more, you want to do more, you go to a workshop, you go to the library, you go to university and you do that. Me personally, uh, on my outs, my outlook on life and, and how I fit into life and what my role is in, in the life and in the world, that I struggle with. And so that relationship that, that I have with myself is being more honest with myself. The more I'm honest with myself and the more vulnerable I am with myself, because we talked about that, the, the, the buzzword of vulnerability and your idea of you seeing someone on a soapbox, you know, spilling their guts out, right? So to me, being vulnerable with myself is actually being honest with myself and saying, well, okay, Brian, when you said that, when you did that, was that the best that you could have done? Now, before 
I was justified. I was saying, well, yeah, that, that guy, he cut me off. He deserved to get the middle finger or, you know, this customer who came in there, you know, they give me a hard time. They deserve to get told off, you know, or my, my girlfriend, you know, I'm asking her what's wrong with her. She's giving me a roundabout answer. So yeah, of course I had to give her that attitude. Right. Mm-hmm. So once I started being vulnerable with myself and saying, actually, Brian, you could have done better. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when I was able to then be better for my partner and everyone around me. You mentioned not even my wife, but the relationship with my sister, my sisters has been a lot better. Um, I struggle with my relationship with her a little bit. I struggle with the, uh, in the relationship with my um, sister-in-law. But as soon as I stepped back and I looked into myself, then I can receive their energy and see what they're going through differently. Right. And I'm not sure if that, that, that's clear or makes sense. But the more we understand ourselves, what's going on with us, the more we can understand others. But oftentimes, what do we do? We want to fix things. So we look outward. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's probably like the, like the, that's like the last step, you know, in the process of actually living in a world that's more peaceful. So once I can be you know, uh, genuine with myself, be kind to myself, I can be kind to others. And I think it's a ripple effect at, at that point in time. Yeah, man. That's one of the big distinctions that a lot of other men who've come on the show have drawn between boyhood, adolescence, pre-manhood, whatever you want to call it, and actually stepping into our manhood is our ability to be of service to the world instead of believing that the world is of service to us. Correct. So like you're saying here, I I think that there is a radical self-reliance that we can cultivate when it comes to making sure like, hey, I got your back, bro. Like, and, and internally, like I got your back, man. Any, like anything right, right. that happens, I got you. We're, we're good. We're going to be okay. Even if somebody puts us down or somebody doesn't show us the love that we feel we deserve or that, that risk that we took in business doesn't pan out. We're going to be okay because we got each other. It's like a, right, it's like right. a, it's like the internal relationship that as I see it. And we talked about that buzzword of self love. And I, and I told you, I was like, honestly, I've got some really close friends, like sisters of mine who are advocates and self love coaches. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, because I have a, a definition of what that means. I think a lot of people are hearing it's like self love. Uh-huh. It's a, it's a relatively new concept, oddly enough, but I think about animals in the animal kingdom. They don't care about anybody else surviving but themselves. There are mama bears out there that will eat their children if there ain't enough salmon for them to eat. So, like, of course, love ourselves. Of course, love ourselves enough to be here. But since we don't live in a world where we're fighting our children for survival, right, then we can go beyond that as soon as we recognize that we matter. Yeah, but and, and that's to me and Jetty, I think, you know, you, what you're what you're bringing up is is something again that's really important to me and I and again, to have a better understanding of what we're talking about, I had to turn these questions back on myself. Um, and cuz as you mentioned, like one of the medicines or the messages that I want to put out to the world is uh, is how can people feel as if they're living their lives in whichever way they want in the most uh, fulfilling kind of way, in the most loving way for themselves, right? And so for me, I had to ask myself, like you said, of course I loved myself before, but when I really go back to moments in my life, I can't say the love for myself was high. You know, I was right. saying it because it seems obvious, right? Of course I love myself. I'm not going to throw myself in front of a speeding train because I love myself enough not to die, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we kind of almost, I don't want to say romanticize, but we paint this dramatic picture of what it is of it's either I love myself or I'm depressed and going to commit suicide. And there's so much gray area in there, mate. There's so much gray yeah. area. And so for me, how it showed up that, you know, where I didn't have self-love is for example, when I started talking to myself after failures, as you mentioned, when you had that internal relationship and maybe a business plan didn't go as, as you wanted, right? 
if you start telling yourself that you are crap, you aren't smart enough, uh, why did you do it? You should have stuck to the, uh, to the things you know. You should have done the easy thing. You should have stayed with that company, whatever it might be. I don't really think that's self-love because you're really not talking to yourself in a positive way where you're going to encourage yourself. Well, that's mm. what I was doing. Mm. So my self-love was, self was very, very low because I kept falling into that subtle trap. It wasn't an obvious voice either. It wasn't an obvious thing that I recognized mm, that I felt like, okay, Brian, you're being really hard on yourself. Actually, to the contrary. I was very hard on myself and actually enjoyed that. I wore that as like a badge of honor to say, right. like I tell people, dude, before you even touch me, I've already beat myself black and blue. I'm bloody. Yeah. So <laughs> you, can, you can shoot my ass out, but I'm I've done without realizing the damage I was really doing to myself. You know, I wasn't mm. saying, Hey, it's okay. You, you tripped up. All right, get back up and try it again. And so I think it's just those subtleties of what we think self-love is and how we can get caught up in that and actually not tune into it. Right. Yeah, I, man, I can really relate to that too. The, the, being already bruised, bruised and bloodied before the fight begins because we've been uh-huh. in, in the locker room just beating the shit out of ourselves, man. <laughs> right. And that's I've done that my whole life, and I've I've motivated myself from that space. I, I learned mm-hmm. at a young age to motivate myself with negative reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, what you know, and, and it goes back. I don't I don't blame my mom for this, but I, I have a very vivid memory of the third grade. You know, having having never had anything but A pluses on my report card coming home, A plus, A plus, A plus, A plus, B. A plus, A plus, and I bring it home to her and show her, and she says, oh, what happened with that B? Right, right, right. And it, and it fucked me up, man. And, yeah. and so, you know, the, the thing about it is part of that was has been useful because it's made me always strive for excellence. But the shadow of that is that I've, I, I turned that into anything other than excellence or perfection is not worthy of love, is not, it's not oh, acceptable. And um, that's been a huge journey for me, man. I wonder if you've had something similar. Bro, it's, it's actually eerie how, how much the parallel this is because, uh, I mean, for you as your mother, for me, it was, it was my father. My mother was a bit more encouraged, but my father was very, you know, military background. He grew up in the in the small town of Georgia in the South, right? He was one of, you know, 11 kids. So getting recognition, there was no time for that. You know, doing, you know, the best of what you could do, giving the best for yourself at any given time from the military standpoint, that's what you do. There's no, there's no other option. So just like you, coming back, bringing the report card, good grades, it was like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's what you should have done. You know, there was no celebration. There was no real pat on the back. There was no excitement in his voice, cutting the grass and, and doing extra chores on the house to make sure my parents, when they came home from work, that they didn't have to worry about cooking dinner or, or doing extra things. That was like, well, of course you should do that, Brian. You're a mm-hmm. part of the family. And even though you're 11, 12 years old, that's what you should be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But just as you said, I don't, I did blame it on my father. I did blame it on my parents, you know, back in the day. However, understand that that was my perception of what was going on. That wasn't the reality. They weren't saying that what I was doing was not good enough. What they were doing, especially from my father's standpoint, was to say, don't expect any, don't expect something just for doing, just for doing your best. You should always want to do your best, regardless right. if someone's watching you, regardless if you get money for it, regardless if you think someone's going to give you a pat on the back because your identity your, 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 not your worst, but your integrity is based on giving your best at all given times. Right. As a child, when you only want to see your parents, you know, smile at you and say, great job. That's how I internalized it. Mm-hmm. And so having said all that to come back, uh, come back around, um, it did show up to me in my adult life. You know, when mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was doing my best or if I didn't succeed, I was bloodying myself and it did motivate me to a degree. However, little by little, and I recognize this going through the, um, through the man cave process, is at the end of it, I created such 
a crap story about my abilities. I just mm. didn't feel good enough. And I slowly stopped taking risks. I slowly stopped dreaming and thinking big because when I thought big and I didn't get what I want on the first try because I was so accustomed when I was younger to get <laughs> on the first try yeah. is my, my vision got smaller. My bar got lower because if my bar was low, I didn't have to jump as high. Because if I did jump that high and I fell, the fall wouldn't have hurt so bad, right? Yeah. But it's a slow process. It's not an obvious, or at least for me, it wasn't an obvious process until I stopped and started looking back. And I looked back just to learn from the past. I said, well, damn, Brian, you used to really like go all out. You used to really like, I mean, set your bar high. You know, I was thinking about how people used to talk about me, how you used to refer to me. And mm -hmm. I was like, you lost all that. And I started looking at why and how that happens. Like, holy shit, man, this whole self-abuse, like it was like cool at the moment. Like I felt like a, you know, like a, a top, you know, Lieutenant, you know, in the military, mm. but really like I give myself no favors. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and I think that's the tricky machinations of the ego is that with the, the games, the ego plays to keep us from taking big risks because the ego is trying to keep us alive, literally keep us alive. And, and yeah. ego death is the same as, as physical death where it interprets it the same way. And so we could take a story from our parents that was in the context coming out from them about never settle for less than your best, always strive for excellence, always give your best effort and in turn and, and shift that and pivot it to anything less than perfection is not worthy of love. Uh, that's it. And that's then, it. and then say, Oh, even, even if our parents did it in an unconscious way, because of like what my mom said about my report card, she still loved me. She didn't love me any less because I got a B. She was just calling me forward into my excellence. But I was like, oh, man, I didn't get the love that I wanted, that I felt like right. I needed. It's not her fault. You know, right? Nobody's, nobody does parenting perfectly. I can definitely attest to that. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's important for us to, at some point, at some stage of our lives, really sit down and dissect all of the stories and narratives that our egos have created throughout our childhood, throughout our adolescence, as a rite of passage into mm, adulthood. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree. It's, it's essential because that there's so much of that history. It's like the, the textbooks that we have now that tell us about cowboys mm -hmm. and Indians. We got to rewrite that shit because that was just our interpretation of a story. It's not necessarily what really happened. And so I think it's great that you're touching on this, man. It's a really, really powerful point. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up because it does, you know, even as much work as I have done through the process, especially having like the accountability about accountability brothers that we developed, you know, in Man Cave, we still keep in contact. We still push ourselves. Just the simple act of talking it out loud again with you right now, it makes me want to dig a bit deeper. It reminds mm -hmm. me of some other layers that really I want to go into, not to feel bad about it, but to learn from it. It's almost like a search and destroy kind of mission, right? I just want to go back to any kind of stories I'm, that still might be lingering that are ineffective to me and rewrite those and actually knowing that I can rewrite those, you know, mm -hmm. um, before it's kind of like, well, I'm just kind of, you know, I, I never saw my parents really be intimate or romantic. So I guess I just don't know what a, a healthy marriage is. No, mm -hmm. dude. Okay. Maybe you didn't get that, but you can go back and understand why it wasn't and then actually live that life that you want with your wife. Right. So, mm -hmm. right. So maybe your father didn't say, you know, great job, but he sure as hell never said I was crap. He sure as hell never said that I couldn't be anything I wanted to be. That was just his way of saying it. And that's the way I perceived it. So go back and then fill in the blanks. You know, I don't know if you would have said it or not, you know, my father passed away. So I can't have that conversation now today, but my mother just left. And the conversation we do have, I know they were proud of me. I know they are proud of me now today, mm -hmm. but I've convinced myself that maybe they're not. I've convinced myself that maybe I'm not proud of myself, right? But it's knowing that I can rewrite that story at any point in time. Just take some work. Yeah, man. And, and you know what? The easy route is to 
recreate the story that we witnessed as kids, whether it was our parents, our grandparents, a mentor, a coach, whatever, to take that story to see, well, that's how that person did it. And they're still alive. So let me just recreate that in my own way or the road less traveled, creating a new story, creating a new legacy, trying something different. And that road is way more uncomfortable. That's the road that the ego constantly wants to talk us out of. It constantly wants to talk us out of taking those risks, being vulnerable, being willing to step out into the darkness, into the unknown and not knowing where our next foot is going to land because we can't see it just yet. But whatever that is in your life, whether it's how you were in relationships, how you are in business, how you are with money, how you are with your, your world perspectives, it's always more uncomfortable to follow an authentic path. And yet, that's what leads to, in my opinion, being more fulfilled and being happier in life. Yeah. And Jenny, because I know we're going to uh, start wrapping up, but I just want to make a point about being vulnerable and again, how that shows up and give another example of how I didn't want to be. Because you talk about from the man's, uh, the man's experience, right? From my experience, I think when you do say being vulnerable, that lets us to, we associate vulnerability with weakness and no man, really no, not many man, any man wants to be perceived as weak, right? Mm-hmm. So when we started going into a little bit of our, our inner child work, right? I started to feel to myself, okay, this is just silly. You know, why do we need to go talk to my inner child? I felt, I felt like, I felt mushy. The idea of going to talk to my little boy, me felt as if I was broken, felt as if I had some kind of deep inner wounds or issues. And I did, but that wasn't the point. It was not wanting to be vulnerable to, to, to see those for what they were and actually, again, to address them, right? So one of the first times I went into a self-guide, I did it, you know, did it myself into the self-guided meditation of the inner child work. Long story short, I went in there and I kept going to the three-year-old version of myself. Now, when I kept seeing this person, this little boy, he was happy. You know, he's playing in grass, curly hair, big fat cheeks, and he was a happy, healthy little boy, very smiley. And I couldn't figure out why the hell I kept on going to him. So after a couple sessions, I don't know what made me do it, but I decided to pick up this version. So now I'm seeing myself, my 35-year-old version of myself, pick up a three-year-old version of myself. And literally in the real life, the real version of myself was crying. I would start crying. But it, was, it wasn't sadness. The overwhelming feeling of needing to be acknowledged, it was uh, the, almost the feeling of needing to just to be seen. So I, I don't know what happened exactly at that point in time. I know my father was very hardworking. I was one of six kids. And so I just feel like at that time, even though I was happy, I have happy memories, something deeper to that was telling me that I just never wanted to be seen. And so just to, to know that that feeling does exist within me still today, why the hell would I get emotional for that? if if I thought that I was cleansed of all kinds of emotional baggage, if you will. So that just lets right. me know that there's something there, you know, and that, and, but letting myself to be vulnerable to experience that is a big step to take. You know, it doesn't make me any less of a person, any less of a man. It doesn't make me broken. It doesn't make me a, a, a psycho. Whatever things we want to create about, you know, yeah. going into um, that, that mindset. But um, I just want to share that, that example of being vulnerable. And it's not always obvious. You know, and, yeah. the, and what we can get from that by just letting ourselves be vulnerable with ourselves. No one knows about that. You only know about that because I'm sharing with you right now. Right. <laughs> no one had to know. I, I, I did that in private, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the benefits from doing that were, were immense. Exactly, man. And this goes full circle all the way back to talking about man cave, men's circles, whatever your support system of brothers is or is not. Perhaps there's a man out there who's listening who doesn't have this. To have that space where you can really lift the veil, take off the mask, take off the armor, unload everything that you've been holding on to to protect yourself and to let yourself be seen and supported for what's really there 
is also, in my opinion, one of the rites of passage from boyhood to manhood. Because until you allow yourself to be seen by others, and in my opinion, the safest first step is by other men who get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until you let yourself be seen in that way, you there's there's parts of ourselves that we don't really know about. Like you said, until you had the courage to take that step in deeper into that that previous version of you, you didn't know what was there. But there was something there. There was a, there was emotion waiting to be released, and the value of that is I, I just can't emphasize enough of of how important that is and how important it is to have that support system that. Even if it's just men that you circle up with from your block, from your neighborhood, you know, three guys. All you need is a few guys and and, and one person to go deep and, and get real first and say, hey, I'm experiencing this. Who who else can relate to this? Because we all mm-hmm. can. We're just so accustomed to not doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, and that's exactly right. You know, I think it's creating that changing. I don't know when I say the culture, the culture within your friends, like you said, if you have your best buddy or if you have a group of you guys, you play ball together, whatever you do, you know, changing that culture that you can be more vulnerable because think about it, when we talk about what we typically have. Guys go to the bar. They're when they talk about their girlfriends or wives. It's usually in a kind of like a passive kind of way. Ah, I gotta get home because the wife wants me home. Or no ball and chain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We make it's like an obligation. Like you know, like yeah. if you don't want to be with her, don't be with her, right? But for <laughs> sure. But it's changing that to say we can do better and be better. And as you mentioned, um, that was one of the biggest, biggest unex- unexpected, unintended outcomes that I got from Man Cave. And as you said, however you want to approach that is. Letting yourself, letting myself be seen, you know, even though it's an online course and we did all the, you know, we had the video chat. So you're still being seen. We're still seeing other men being vulnerable, some going deeper than others. But the idea of just letting yourself be, there's no more mask. There's no more this bravado. And some guys, again, we're a little bit slower to let their mask come off. Some guys never took it off. Some guys ripped it off because they were just, mm. they almost like they couldn't breathe. Their mask was, their mask was like suffocating mm. them, right? Mm-hmm. But from my experience, my experience, there was, I mean, when we went into these conversations and these challenges, if you will, of letting ourselves be seen by our brothers and, and the, the group as a whole in our small group, that was a little bit uncomfortable. But that's mm-hmm. the whole point. That's the whole right. point. If it was comfortable, then I'm probably not doing enough. The whole point <laughs> was to get that little tingle in my stomach to think, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to be seen? And say, fuck, yeah, I want to be seen. Yeah, I want, I want my voice to be heard. Yes, I want people to see me for me and not these badges of honor, these these little shiny things I've collected over time, right? Yeah. But I'm telling you what, it's, it's, um, it's the most fulfilling, most powerful thing that I've experienced. you know. And people may not understand. I wouldn't have not understood that before. To say just to be seen for me and the kind of empowerment that <clears throat> excuse me the, the empowerment that gave me and my other brothers and in, in our small group so definitely I I push that to the day I die you know trying to get that collective if it's people on your block people in your club people you even you work with whoever it might be uh, you know if you if you don't have that like I didn't have that for example me I'm on a small Spanish island I don't really connect with too many people here so for me man kid was my, was a perfect solution that I didn't mm. even really think too much about like doing an online kind of empowerment men's group you know so for me it it was fantastic to to have that so whatever you do just take a step towards something yeah yeah man I I like that you highlighted the the physical sensation for me when I when I recognize that thing that I gotta say that I don't want to say it's my my tummy rumbles and my butthole puckers and it's like (laughs) oh that's the one okay here we go fuck we're jumping off the cliff again it's like I I equate it to going cliff jumping have you ever gone cliff jumping you said skydiving Uh, right 
Yeah, I've done that too. Yeah, you've done that too. So I've never been yeah. skydiving, but cliff jumping for me, no matter how many times you do it, you step up to the edge and there's that that physical somatic sensation of like, fuck, are we really going to jump off of this really high place? This doesn't feel good. Just, this ain't right. I, we're doing it. <laughs> and you just, you muster it up and go anyway. And, and one last thing I'll say before we start to tie it up here is for those guys who haven't experienced being vulnerable or, or really taking the mask off and just airing it out, saying what's really there. Oftentimes, the belief is that if I do that, then I'm going to be made fun of, I'm going to be ridiculed, I won't be loved, I won't be supported, I won't be received, I'll be judged in one form or fashion or another, because that's probably happened every other opportunity previously in our lives. Every other time that we were vulnerable or we we cried at school because someone hurt our feelings and then everybody pointed and said, ha, ha, ha. You know, we, we internalize that trauma and we make it, okay, now the world, if I show this, this is what happens and I don't like it. But ironically, on the other side of that threshold in manhood, in men's circles, the most vulnerable man, the man who's willing to go the deepest, gets the most respect, the most oh, love, the most support, because he, whether he knows it or not, is speaking on behalf of every other man who hasn't gone there yet or has been there before and can remember what it feels like. And so I say that to encourage the type of sharing that we're describing here and to do so in a safe and a really sacred confidential space. Because it's, 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 it's that soapbox thing that I'm afraid of, that everybody goes out and just blah, bear it to the world, but it's not going to be received because people out there aren't really ready to receive that, you know? That's exactly right. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to touch on this last little bit as well. So to give a bit more background for myself, I come from you know an athletic background. I, I mentioned I was one of six kids. And the, the closest sibling to me was my sister. And the next siblings were all boys, all you know, men. And I was in a frat and I did other kind of things that are very, because they're very masculine. My ethnicity, if you will, off the American side of things is black and white. And so, you know, in the black community or the minority community, I do feel like we almost have a little bit of pressure to be more masculine, hyper masculine. There is no time opportunity for weakness because it's just not afforded to us. So all these different kind of layers that I had didn't make it very difficult, Jetty, and you can probably relate to wanting to be vulnerable and want to be seen and to say things that may be perceived as being a sissy as being mm-hmm. weak, as being a, uh, I say, being a bitch, right? Mm-hmm. All these things that we hate to be seen as. It got to the point for me that putting that energy to try to always put on that show became exhausting to me. So it's just, as you said, the, the, beauty, the beautiful part about doing Man Cave, I think in a lot of these different groups is they are confidential, right? So this is not a public platform. This is nothing, this is not something that you're going to put out to, you know, a thousand people or even a hundred people. You're talking about the closest 20 to 30 guys who are in the same boat as you. And I think it's that confidence in the process of understanding that these people are just like you. They want the same mm-hmm. result. We don't have to have had the same experience. We don't have to have necessarily the same specific outcome. The general outcome is that we know that we can do better. We want to do better. There's something within ourselves that we want to be more authentic in in whichever arena that we're in and that these guys want the same thing. And so Mm -hmm. it is always that kind of like, well, who's going to go first? And Mm -hmm. to me, you know, if you're, you know, if you're out there, if you're listening and you have those thoughts, you know, again, Jay's going to say he's been there. I'm going to say I've been there and I'll be lying if I said, I still even have those ideas now today. Mm-hmm. You know, the work is not done. I did man cave and, and it, you know, I feel great about the, the outcome, but I'm still doing work to be authentic today. As we speak, there's still some things that if Jenny asked me, I would answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but having said that, that doesn't mean that, that it won't get better and I can't get better. I know what I want for myself. 
I know that tomorrow I'll be, I'll, I'll be another better version. I'll be more authentic. And every single day I'm just adding a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So, you know, if you're out there, just know that, that you can do better if you want to do better. You know, there's no limit to, you know, your own potential. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome, my man. Uh, last thing that I'll say on this, and then we'll do a couple of last minute lightning style questions. I've been in a room in circles with gang members, former ex-military Navy SEAL type guys, like some of the hardest cats that you could, right. you, know, you guys, you walk down the block and you're like, oh man, that guy has, <laughs> has killed somebody or beat the crap out of somebody at some point in his life, right? I've been in rooms with those guys. And when it gets to the part where it's time to be really vulnerable, to, to share something that we're grieving about or ha- that we've never shared with anybody before, seeing those guys break down and reveal something that they haven't told anybody in their whole lives. And then on the other side of it saying, you know what? I thought courage and bravery was stepping onto the battlefield and risking my life yes. for my country, you know, yes. stepping out into the streets and, you know, you know, risking my life, you know, stepping into, you know, enemy territory. But the real courage is bearing my soul. And speaking my truth. And so to, to see guys like that, like I'm talking full face tats, you know, huge muscles, guys you wouldn't want to mess with, the guys you wouldn't even want to approach. For them to say that the real courage is in this type of stuff, we're, we're talking about vulnerability and, and sharing what we won't reveal to just anybody. That that really landed for me. And I think that that's and appealing. Jay, real quick on that point, and I love that you said that, when these tough guys, these gang members, these, you know, cock diesel guys revealed that, how much respect did you was lost how much respect did you lose for them when they said that oh no man it just it multiplied exponentially exactly you know like 10 20 000 some guys like you said we get so afraid to do it because we're afraid that people will lose respect that people will look down on us that did not happen to you and that did not happen to me in man cave when i saw Mm -hmm. other guys like and we we have guys there who are you know corporate executives people who are you know entrepreneurs are making millions some guys who are just starting you know university at no point in time, they w- then when anyone shared what they were going through, did I feel like, ha-ha, or look how small he is. My respect for them elevated. It's like it tripled, it quadrupled. Like I felt so much closer to them mm. that they're able to reveal that. And it was not the, the negative adverse effect that we think is going to happen when we want to go to be, quote-unquote, vulnerable. So. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And gosh, we could could have a conversation for hours. So I know we got to wrap it up, but I'll just share one one more anecdotal story. There's a there's a a weekend workshop that I did back in 2015. And part I'm not going to go into it, but one of the processes is a grieving process. It's it's really creating a space and a context where men can tap into that space, our deepest source of pain, our deepest source of wounding and support and be supported by other men because it's just a room full of other men. And one image that I'll never forget in my mind is I saw a man who I never interacted with him, but he must have been some sort of gang member. He had, you know, tattoos all over his body. He had the teardrops on his face. He had the neck, right. t- like everything like the, he and, and I believe he shared something about his story. He'd been to prison. He'd, he'd really, he'd, you know, he'd, all the stuff. Right. And I saw him embracing a guy who white collar, you know, you know, neat haircut, you know, probably has like a nice 401k, the whole bit, you know, <laughs> and they were embracing each other in, in tears, in tears, man. And like the, just the power of how vulnerability can also bridge worlds, can bridge Absolutely. gaps in culture, Absolutely. can bridge gaps in yeah. society, um, all the way around, man, right back to living in a more peaceful world, man, is when we strip down mm-hmm. the layers and realize that we're not different from each other. This is it. 
This is mm-hmm. it, man. Yeah, great story. Give me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then let me hit you with some lightning, baby. Let's let's see what you got. You got, you got a few questions here and then we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll close it out. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18 years old? That I can always do better at any point in time in my life. Mm, awesome. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Most important value, I'm going to go with integrity. I think integrity is that as long as we can be true to our, ourselves and start there, we can be kind to ourselves, be kind to other people, uh, share this with respect, share ourselves with respect. So I'm going to go with integrity. Beautiful, man. And last but not least, uh, you know, where can people come to find you, to connect with you, to learn more about the emerging offer that you're creating in your life right now? <laughs> Well, they can come find me on my doorstep. My address is. <laughs> Imagine. So I do that. Like people are, um, but no, at, at this point in time, a, um, you can find me just by my name is Brian Jenkins. That's Brian with an I. B-R-I-A-N Jenkins. J-E-N-K-N-S. Mr. B. Jenkins. I'm using that handle for right now. Again, so I'm not super polished. I'm just kind of testing the waters right now. As we mentioned, this is the scary part for me. You know, I'm mm-hmm. kind of abandoning everything that I thought to, uh, that I would use in the, the professional slash educational world as in the, the MBA, kind of putting it aside and just let myself be. So I started to have a clear answer for you. So just Brian Jenkins, put it in there. You find my, my chocolatey caramel face. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you guys, make sure you go follow Brian right now. This is like, this is like discovering Google back when it was three guys sitting in an office somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, definitely like- a rising star, man. And I'm, I'm excited just because, you know, I don't need to know what you're creating in your life to know that you're a man who's going to make a difference because it's the way that you show up, that. bro. And, uh, appreciate that. you know, I really encourage you just to try, trust your footsteps and keep, keep following them because it's, it's leading you in a good direction, man. And, uh, everybody out there definitely needs to come and track your journey because, you know, a year from now, whew, everybody's going to want to know Mr. B. Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I appreciate everything, all the work that you're doing. And I'll be honest with you, having said that, you know, as I'm taking those footsteps every single day, like you said, that butthole pucker up feeling. I have <laughs> yeah. that almost every day. I step out of my bed because, you know, I see now that there's a, there's a bright path ahead of me. I just don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. And so it's that that trust in the process, actually. But not only more than trusting the process, trusting myself. Finally trusting myself that it'll be everything I want and more. So Yeah, man. So let, let, let that be the lesson. If your butthole is not puckered <laughs> at least once a day, you ain't doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt baby we're going it's going on. that's a t-shirt there you go man there you go everybody's gonna know you now <laughs> he's the butthole pucker guy all right man listen uh thank you for coming on the show thank you for bringing your real true self thank you for bringing your heart and this is an awesome conversation man looking forward to everybody getting a chance to check it out and look forward to whenever you come back stateside man hopefully make it to the west coast we get to hook up sometime Hey, baby. It actually happens sooner than you think. Actually, we're, we're moving back this July, so I'm sure by oh. the end of the year, we'll be on the West Coast at some point in time. So Okay. Well, uh, I'm not going to tell you my address on the pocket, but I'll give it to you because <laughs> I don't want everybody <laughs> yeah. knocking on my door just yet. <laughs> but you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you. All right, brother. Take care, my man. Powerful, powerful connection with my brother Brian here, man. He is a really, really great brother who is getting set to do some big things in this world. Just to see another man who recognizes that the life that he was creating for himself up to a certain point wasn't the life of his choosing. And I believe, I've always said this, that when we have a world filled with men who are living on purpose in a life of their choosing that aligns with the medicine that they were brought into this life with, then all of the world's problems are going to start turning around. And so to know another brother who's on that journey and to hear all the different insights that he had and that we discovered together, uh, this is one of my favorite episodes. So I hope you guys got as much value and benefit out of it as I did. 
by being a part of it. Make sure you join us for the Rising Man Fire Circle call this Saturday, April 27th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's virtual, so you can join us from anywhere in the world. If you're a guest for the first time, hit me up with a direct message on Facebook or Instagram to get the link for the call. Or sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash risingman. The $33 a month tier gets you access to our monthly Zoom calls, our private Facebook group, and a whole bunch of other awesome perks and opportunities to connect with me and my Rising Man Power team and the growing community of Rising Men inside that fire circle. So make sure you guys join us. It's an amazing opportunity to connect with men from all over the world. Be there this Saturday. As always, please check out the show notes for links and resources relevant to this episode and every episode at therisingmanpodcast.com. Please subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice, whether that's Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, any of the ones that you listen to us on. Please subscribe, leave some comments, give us a five-star rating if you believe we deserve it, because it's going to really help us rise the ranks and get us in the ears of more men all across the world. You could always leave feedback and comments at therisingmanpodcast.com in the comments section under each episode, wherever you're listening to us, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Shout out to my power team, starting with Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics. That's at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X. My man doing big things since day one. Appreciate you, brother. Rowan Tyne at Rowan T-Y-N-E on Instagram, the guy who's been flexing the social media and helping with so many of the behind the scenes operations, starting to take over my job for me. Appreciate you, brother, everything that you're doing. Julian Subic, who makes sure you guys get awesome show notes, titles, and descriptions for every one of these episodes. And Mark Rose, who's helping me with a whole bunch of other side projects that we're not ready to release just yet. Make sure you guys get a power team because... I wouldn't be able to do 75% of the stuff that I've done here if it wasn't for these guys. So thank you, brothers, for helping me out. And for the rest of you who've been listening, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Spread the message, spread the word. We on the rise. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.